Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. We'll take your Bible and let's look at Galatians chapter 5 as we look at part 2 in our last part of uh, this asking the question, what does a Christian look like? I got news for you. It's not a haircut. It's not a certain cologne. It's not a length of a skirt. It's, uh, it's not a tie. It's not any of those things. It's not even a, a pasted-on smile. Some think, people think, well, if you're a Christian, you ought to be happy, 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 happy all the time. That's crazy. It's nutty. Now, there ought to always be, as you walk in the Spirit, a joy in, in the Lord, even in the face of hard times and storms. But it doesn't, it's not the same thing as a pasted-on smile. But if anybody has anything to smile about, don't we? Right? Don't we? There ought to be a sweet radiance in your life and mine of, the, of what uh, God has done for you and for me. Well, what does a Christian look like? Galatians 5. It's amazing to me to see the enormous variation that exists among all people. Have you ever thought about that? Look at the variation of kind. I mean, uh, it's amazing, this whole thing. Uh, of, of, of the gene pool and the variation that occurs within it. It's especially fascinating when you consider that all people everywhere came from the original two parents. You have a biblical cosmology and understanding. We haven't been here really that long. And uh, incidentally, archaeology and history support that. Studied uh, many, many classes on ancient history, the Sumer the Sumer civilization in modern-day Middle East there. Yeah, Middle East, modern-day. Um, all of a sudden, man appears, about 4,000 years B.C. He appears out of nowhere, writing, speaking. We have tablets of school children where they're writing in cuneiform, and it's hardened on these clay tablets. They would do their lessons on it and, and pad it, you know, and then rewrite it again and pat it again. Well, in a period of time, it hardened. And we have grocery lists. We have uh, ingredients on how to make beer. Did you know they made beer there? We have all the, the barley and the hops. It's crazy. All the mathematics, they were brilliant in math, many of them. Pythagorean, you ever hear of the Pythagorean uh, theorem? Uh, theorem, did I say that right? Pythagoras was an Egyptian back a little bit later than that. Man hasn't been here that long. In all the variety of humankinds, red, yellow, black, and white, we all come from the same mama and daddy. And uh, we all bear the image of God and the potentiality of our genes. You see it in your own family, don't you? I do. I grew up in a family of seven children. If you could line them up, you'd laugh almost. Looks like Heinz 57. Did you know two of my brothers have really red hair? Well, my older brother doesn't have much hair left. But uh, my youngest brother, and his was, his was so red, he had so much carotene in him that it was, he used to tell people, my hair's orange. And my father heard him say that once and really reprimand. I don't ever want to hear you say ever again that your hair is orange. 
It's not orange. Well, it is. My brother, well, it is. Look at it. You know, it's red. My younger brother's an auburn. But my other brother, Todd, his is blonde. That's like a dirty blonde. I got my father's darker hair. <clears throat> and uh, my sisters, I'm not really sure what color theirs are anymore. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but it's somewhere in between the gamut of that, you know. This is the variation. And aren't they different? I look in our own family. Faith and I had three, uh, have three wonderful children. You know, and, and the good thing is they take mostly after her. But they're all different. They're all different. Sarah is so different from David, and they they're both are so different from Jonathan. We just marvel, you know, just marvel at the differences of gifts and abilities and propensities. You go like, wow, all within the variation of humanity. And uh, we understand that. We know that. It's also true that Christians come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, don't we? Yet there is a similarity, there's commonality between all Christians. It's a common likeness of character, which is being produced by the Holy Spirit in every one of you, if you know Christ. It's from the inside out, a likeness to the character of Jesus. This likeness is a genuine mark of your new birth. It's known as the fruit of the Spirit. We began last time looking at the first three, love, joy, and peace. They're the most uh, common, commonly known, love, joy, peace. They're really issues of the heart, if you think about it. Say, well, how do you categorize the first three? Well, love, joy, and peace. They're, they're really the issues of the heart. And so we're going to look at two more categories of spiritual fruit being produced in your life, if you are a Christian, being produced by the Holy Spirit to make you like the Lord Jesus. For true believers, if you are a believer in Christ, God is, has you in an urban renewal project. He's making you like the Savior. Incidentally, I'll remind you again, the word Christian means little Christ. And it was a term of scourge there in Antioch when people who were unbelievers said, oh, there are those Christians. It was a term of contempt. And uh, it meant that they were those that were not only followers of this Jesus, but they were like him. Little Christ is what Christian really means. And so that's what God is up to, and that's what he's doing in your heart and in mine. Let's look at Galatians and Read the, in chapter 5, verse 22, and remind us what God is changing us from. The previous verses, we looked at the last week, but the fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and then patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And then Paul ends by saying, since we live by the Spirit, in other words, we've been born again by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit as we live life and grow in our Christian life. That's what he's calling us to. Well, two more categories. And these are, these are not in stone, but I think they're reasonable. 
you know, the mind wants the catalog. There are nine of these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. The first three, I said, are issues of the heart. The next two categories, uh, Roman number one, your, it involves relationships. I think it stands to reason. Your relationship with all other people will show a Christ-likeness. You'll be, first of all, you'll be enabled to endure with others. Oh, someone said, I could, I could, get, I could really like life if I just didn't have other people. If they just wouldn't bother me, if they just stay away from me, I could just, you know, I just, it could just be so good. Well, God is uh, changing you if he saved you, and he's, uh, he's affecting your relationship. And the first one that he's going to deal with is uh, in this whole area of patience. You see, the Spirit of God is going to tenderize your heart and is doing that, and he's going to tenderize your heart toward your family members. Families are messy. They are. And so all of us could tell all sorts of stories, and some with great tears. Things that have happened to us, things that have been done to us, all these kind of things. It's God's designed family. Sin corrupts it, makes it less than what it should be. But God uh, speaks to us as Christians about our families, our relationship. But more, our friends, but more, even strangers, but more, even our enemies, our relations. Our relationship with people as God continues to have us live. We know that he has something for us to do where he just say, mm, you're out of here, not right now. And so our relationships involve people, and he speaks to us about what he's doing in our life so that we'll be Christ to people. And the first area is in patience. A, you'll be enabled to endure with others even if you're treated badly. That's what he's saying here. That's the fourth quality or the first we're looking at today, patience. Macrothumia is the Greek word. Now, I don't throw around a lot of Greek here, but macro, you know macro, right? Great, macro, uh, thumia is heat. So when you and I are thrown into the midst of heat or under the pressure of heat, it, it, it gives us the ability to endure under it and not uh, to flee or run away under that. And, and so in English, patience, waiting while things may be greatly adverse. Now, we don't, we don't feel the heat when we're on vacation or at the beach or things are going great, right? That's great. No, it's when you're in the hot box of life and you're feeling pressure. Somebody's got their jaw out against you. They slandered you. They hurt you. Somebody hurt you physically, cheated you, lied to you, and, and in many ways um, def defamed you. You know that. And, the, and just the relationship. And, God, and, and, and Paul is telling us by by the Spirit's writing here, that this is what Christ is doing in us. He's giving us the ability to endure, even when it's not easy to stay in the kitchen, right, when there's heat. Someone said, you like the heat, stay out of the kitchen. Well, unfortunately, life has a lot of heat sometimes, generated by others, and it gives us the ability to endure and not wimp out. We may feel like wimping out, right? Oh my, I can't do this. How many of we have said that at points, right? But God gives us that ability. Well, the word means, number one, to be long-suffering, to be slow to anger. It is to keep oneself under control for a long time. 
There's no thought of any retaliation when wrong. You know, there was a, there was a day when the, the rule was, in the, in the Latin, it's called lex talionis. It was the law of revenge. We saw that in the wild, wild days of the West, right? Everyone walked around with six shooters. They could spin them on their hand. You remember that? I used to watch all those cowboy movies when I was a kid. I loved that. You know, and, and take care of business. You shot my brother, I'll meet you at noon, high noon. I'll take care of business here, right? The law of revenge, the law, lex, law, lex talionis. Well, for a Christian, that's completely out. It's out. The law restrained that anyway. The law of God, the way that we're made in the flesh is that you put my eye out, I'll take your eye, and I'll raise you and take the other one. That's the way we are, right? You did that, I'll blow a bigger hole than you, right? The law of revenge. You ought to ask God to expunge that from your heart. It's not Christ who did no harm to those that did great harm to him. Slow to anger. Number two, God is described repeatedly in the Bible as being slow to anger. In fact, this quality is most often used of God in the Bible, that God is slow to anger. And aren't you glad for that? When you and I run off and sin, God doesn't say, well, that's it. I'm going to blow your car up. I've had it with you. Right? He's slow to anger. God's patience is always connected to his mercy. Now, we have a number of verses we want to look at today, but Romans 2.4 and Romans 9.22 teach this. Let's look at Romans 2.4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and here it is, patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. What a wonderful verse, the kindness and patience of God. God long-suffering, bringing us to repentance and saving faith. And how about Romans 9, 22? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience, there it is, great patience, the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. And certainly God has done that. And there's no one that is described in Scripture more than than our God is being slow to anger. The patience and long-suffering of God are amazing. Well, Jesus is another great, he's the great example of patience. Considered how he endured in his ministry. Amazing. The patience of the Lord. Even with the believers, his disciples, they were so slow to get it. I mean, they were always dragging behind. They were flunking the daily quizzes and the final exams. Pretty well forget it, you know. They just were, I mean, it's exam time. They should have been ready, and they're still arguing who's the greatest, you know. I mean, just F, you're, you know, forget. Uh, those are those that loved him, so-called, right? How about the enemies that hated him, despised him, and those that were totally indifferent to the Creator? The patience that's seen in Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.16, uh, about the Lord's patience, but for that very reason, Paul's talking about himself, very autobiographic here, uh, I was shown mercy, so that in me, Paul says, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience. There it is. That's the very word. Why does Paul say that? Because he views himself 
as a huge problem, having even seen Christians put to death before he was saved. And God bore with that, was slow to anger, and took Paul. Well, further, furthermore, we are commanded as Christians to have this in our life. Uh, as you and I grow in grace and, as, and we walk in the Spirit, and then the command that we are to do this in Colossians, we see this in Colossians 3.12. We'll turn to this a couple of times. But look what Paul writes. Therefore, it's God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's an amazing thought in itself, isn't it? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and there it is, the last word, patience. And it's in an imperative mood that we're to command, commanded to, to have this quality of macrothumia, to stay in the heat and stay there long until God carries us through with family and friends and uh, with, uh, with those that hurt us and abuse us. We're to do that, to be Christ to them. Well, that's patience. Abraham Lincoln, isn't he a great uh, illustration of that? I found this. Let me, let me give you the sense of it. Uh, no one treated Lincoln with more contempt than uh, Stanton. Remember Edwin Stanton, who denounced Lincoln's policies and called him, imagine this, a low, cunning clown. Stanton had nicknamed him the original gorilla. That's Abe Lincoln. And he said that the explorer Paul de Kailu was a fool to wander about in Africa trying to capture a gorilla when all he had to do was find one easily in Springfield, Illinois. Lincoln said nothing in reply. In fact, he made Stanton his minister of war because Stanton, in Lincoln's mind, was the very best man for that position. He treated him with every courtesy, and the years wore on. And then it was reported that the night came when the assassin's bullet struck down Lincoln in the theater. And in a room off to the side where Lincoln's body was taken stood Stanton that night right next to that bed. And he looked down on the silent and the rugged face of President Lincoln. Stanton, Stanton finally said through his tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. You see, the patience of love had conquered in the end. Well, that's a, that's a tall order for us. But God is creating in you and in me this macrothumia, this, this patience that endures with others, uh, even when we feel like punching someone in the eye or or doing this or that to them in retaliation. May God expunge that from us, that we would be like Christ. There's a second uh, quality in our relationship with other people, and that is kindness. Paul goes on to say, patience, then kindness. And that is, be you will delight in showing kindness to others, just as God has shown you kindness. That's a tall order. This quality is really love put into action. Sometimes the word is translated gentleness, but the, the idea is more than that. It has with it the idea of tenderness as well, of course, but it doesn't mean weakness 
For someone to be kind uh, is not weak. Nitschke had it uh, completely wrong. He made uh, scorn of uh, those qualities of mercy and forgiveness and love and kindness. And he taught there in his uh, terrible philosophy that shaped and formed a man named Hitler that moved into the Third Reich and and we see the result of all of that and the millions of people that were murdered and killed through that. Uh, it is not weakness. In fact, it is great strength under control. It is kindness. The word is frequently used of God's gracious attitude and acts towards sinners. Let me remind you of a place in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. We discover Paul uh, writes, uh, Ephesians 2.7, do we have that? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness. There's the word to us in Christ Jesus. God's kindness. We're to be kind as we have received kindness uh, from the Lord. Another uh, parallel to that is, is that you and I are to forgive, even as we have been forgiven. We are to release people of their deaths. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Interesting, they didn't ask, say, Lord, teach us how to teach, or teach us how to preach. But there was something dynamic and wonderful about the Lord's prayer life that was so lacking in their life that precipitated that kind of a question. And in that, Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive others. We are to release all people. It's a sad thing when we don't. I see people mentioned with this Madoff thing, and people have lost millions, and your hearts go out to them. Life savings, gone. And I saw one man interviewed, and he said, what would you do if you were here? I'd kill him. And I thought, that's probably true of many of those folks the horrible loss that they have sustained by that, uh, that absolute uh, terrible uh, scheme that enriched him and, and whatever else and whoever else. We are to forgive. The parallel to that is the kindness that we have received in Christ. So should we be kind with others, even those that uh, would abuse us. Somebody said be kind to them. It may be the only kindness that, uh, that violent person or that uh, person who has hurt you will experience, and if they die outside of Christ, they'll be in hell and the lake of fire forever, and your kindness may be the only bit, a little taste of heaven that they'll ever enjoy and will remember. And so we ought to be kind to people, even as God has been kind to us, kind to those undeserving. Well, three, Jesus often revealed this, didn't he? Don't you love it in the Gospels? And we're going to move into a study of the life of Christ and the ministry of the, of the Lord, pro probably uh, focusing a lot in the Gospel of Luke as we move forward. But don't you love it when he's there with those that are sick and the outcast? I'd say the lepers. And he's going to heal the lepers. And it doesn't have to, and the Lord certainly didn't need to, but the, but the text says he went over and he touched them. That's amazing to me. I mean, do you realize the leper, they were the ultimate outcast. 
They were to live outside of the village, and they were considered by God's uh, direction because of what it would have wiped out the whole village. They, they, they had to announce to everyone, unclean. Now imagine that. Now I'd been dirty as a kid and worked up a good sweat and needed a good bath and some cologne because he stinketh, you know. But these poor people, their fingers were falling off and their bodies were rotting, and there was a stench and a smell there, and they had to yell, unclean. And the only ones that they gathered were, there were other four folks outside in the leper communities and colonies. And here's our Lord over there. And the text says he's touching them. I'm telling you, that, that's the wonderful kindness of our Lord. How about when the children? Oh, we don't have time for the kids. The disciples are making an executive decision here. Don't you like that? Lord, we'll take care of that. Kids to the rear. No, I'm sorry. He's too important. Can't have the kids come. And what does the Lord Lord uses a great teaching opportunity, such as the kingdom of God. Why? We have to have childlike faith to be saved. And he invites them to come, and they're sitting on his lap. Isn't that beautiful? He touches the children. He has time for them. That's kindness. That's the kindness of our Lord. That's the kindness of our God. I love to see that. And how about eating with those that the religious people of that day would have nothing to do with. In fact, if they saw them, they'd walk on the other side, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. And the Lord said, I'm going to your house today to eat. And we're going to have a, we're going to have a feast. And the Lord was kind in giving us time and his presence and his teaching, and heaven will be filled with those. And he told them, he said, listen, uh, the sick don't need a doctor. You, you think you're not sick. He said to those that were lost, the religious leaders, these people know they're sick, and they welcome me. And he ministered grace to their heart. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what God's doing, the kindness of the Lord Jesus. He's working that in your heart and in mine. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, believers are told to put on kindness. We're to do that. That's at Colossians 3.12 again. It's a it's a sweet, friendly nature to all. Let me give you a, one more illustration from President McKinley. I'm kind of a history guy, and I like McKinley. Poor guy. He was killed in my hometown. President McKinley, some of you know your history better than others, but William McKinley, President of the United States, 1897 to 1901, was a man who understood the principle of kindness. During one of his campaigns, a reporter from an opposition newspaper followed him constantly and just as persistently and then misrepresented McKinley's views in his writings. Eventually, during this campaign, the weather became extremely cold, and even though the reporter didn't have sufficiently warm clothing, he still followed McKinley. One bitter evening, the president-to-be was riding in his closed carriage. The young reporter sat shivering in the driver's seat outside. McKinley stopped the carriage, invited the reporter to put on his coat and to ride with him inside the warm carriage. The young man, needless to say, was astonished. He protested that McKinley knew that he was opposition and he was going to stop. He was not going to stop opposing McKinley during the campaign. McKinley knew that, but he was, wasn't out to seek revenge. And in the remaining days of the campaign. That reporter continued to oppose McKinley. 
But never, never again, and this doesn't always happen, but never again did he write in an unfair or biased manner about President McKinley because of the kindness. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes kindness is shown, but it's not returned, and that happens. Don't be surprised. But God is working kindness in your heart and mind. There's a third and last quality of these, the fruit of the Spirit, and our relationship with other people showing Christ's likeness, and that is the word goodness. Your life will issue forth as a generous stream of goodness to others. Goodness is uh, hard to define. You hear a lot about it. Hard to get your arms kind of around it. What's it mean? It's kind of related to kindness, if you think about it, yet it differs from kindness, and it's uh, a more active term. Perhaps it's a generosity that springs from kindness. Maybe it's, uh, it's giving feet to kindness. Someone's kind shows it, but uh, the goodness that, that comes from that uh, is as a result of kindness, and goodness shows that redeemed heart there. It springs from the heart. Well, the Lord is the very essence of goodness. Isn't he? You know, we often say that. The Lord is good. He is good all the time. He is. Whether you and I can see it. In all the Psalms, so many of the Psalms, that is, mention the Lord is good. The Lord is good. It's a recurring theme, like in a great musical piece. Coming back to it again and again, that melody, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. In Psalm, I have on your sheet, Psalm 136, verse 1, the psalmist notes, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love, his chesed endures forever. The goodness of God. In fact, in English, you, you know, of course, right, that the word uh, for good comes from the word God. That's how it worked its way etymologically into our English language. God and good. Just an extra O in there and you have good from God. And it, it's based on that. Why? Because we recognize God's goodness. He sends what? The, the rain and the sunshine. And boy, didn't we have rain this week. I check my Bible again to make sure the deluge was over. But the rain and the sunshine upon the wicked and the good and the goodness of God in our life to answer prayer and to bless, maybe in ways that we not thought, and oftentimes it's that way, but make no mistake about it, that God is good. He's good and he's good all the time. The Lord is the very essence of that. MacArthur calls it a sweet and an active kindness. That's not bad. As a Christian, in your relationship with other people, you and I, as God works in our heart, as we walk in the Spirit, should be a never-ending stream of goodness. People should never say the opposite about you if, you if you know Christ. That is a blemish upon the name of the Lord Jesus. should not be. Ask God to deal with that. Forsake that. Put that out. It should be goodness to all people. In Galatians 6.10, Paul tells us to all people, but especially as we look at Galatians 6.10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good, there's the word, to all people, but especially to those who belong to the household of faith or believers, to Christians. And so we ought to do that. Goodness ought to flow from you. I thought back by way of illustration in my own life, and 
the goodness that I've received, Faithy and I, so many things through the years. You know, one that stands out, we, uh, we had a very young family at this point. Not all the kids were born. And we had traveled east. We were ministering in Indiana and saw Faith's mom and dad. And then we went to the New Jersey shore. Faithy grew up going to Ocean City. And we went there, and we had <laughs> very little money. And when we got there, we discovered that the, the beach had uh, changed, and it was no longer free. God gave it free, but man figured out a way that you had to buy beach tags. Or you couldn't get off the boardwalk and go down and walk through the sand and the sun and the water that God provided. You needed five bucks a head. Well, I hadn't planned it, and I was on a pretty tight budget. And we had visited, we were visit Dr. John Skilton uh, at his home. And you remember that right there. And uh, when we visited there, we were with Faithy's mom and dad too at the point. And he was telling us, Dr. Skilton was telling, he's a professor, now he's in heaven. Dear, dear man. Dear man. Professor at Westminster for years and years. And he was telling us that uh, of this new deal that Ocean City Beach had and he had to pay money and blah, blah, blah. And he, he just could read my face. I thought, like, well, we're not, I didn't say anything, but I thought, well, we'll just stay on the boardwalk. And he got, he picked up drift of it and absolutely, absolutely insisted. He went and got a certain amount of money and would, we would have had to insult him or throw it in the driveway or something if we didn't take it. That, that it was, as his guest, he wanted us to be able with the kids to go down on the beach. And, and I thought, like, I'll never forget that. Never forget. He absolutely, ins- it was the goodness of God through him to us. I mean, what, what's that? In, in the spirit of eternity to walk on the beach with your kids and put your toes in the water? Anyway, with Jersey, you might get a needle or something. You know, I see their needle. But I mean, the kindness there, I thought like, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Faith and I have often talked that. A real little thing at that point, like in the mix of things, you'd never even remember it, right? But it screams to my, my memory as that was Christ. And I look, we looked at him and I thought like, that is the kind, kindness, generosity, and the goodness of the Lord to us. I'll never forget. Never forget. Never forget. Anyway, he, he, he was such a saint. When he stood up at my com- final commencement at Westminster and he gave the admonishment to the graduates, I don't know what S. Lewis Johnson said in the commencement speech, but I'll never forget what Dr. Skelton said. Wow. Well, that's, that's your relationships to others. You should not have relationships, at least on your part, that are blown up and ruined. It may have been in the past. You ought to, and I ought to do everything to be Christ to people that have hurt us and hurt our loved ones, to be Christ in areas of patience, kindness, and goodness. But it doesn't stop. Let me submit one more category quickly. We'll go faster through this. The second category is spiritual fruit being produced in your life, making you and I more like Christ. Not only our relationship with other people, but finally your general conduct as a person will mirror the Savior. There are the last three of these, the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
When you think about these, uh, they're more general and they're more descriptive than an overview of our character and life. As you walk in the Spirit, you'll increasingly be changed from the inside out. A, you'll become a dependable person who is trustworthy. Imagine that. Faithfulness. See why it's a general kind of a character of conduct? Faithfulness, dependability. You may have been something far less than that in days gone by. Maybe some said you're utterly undependable. A terrible thing that would be. But, but we are. Or you were conveniently dependable if it fit your whim and woe and schedule. <laughs> and God is making you and I dependable. He's making us faithful. Faithful. And that, you know what, even means our word. Our word means something. Have you noticed people sometimes tell you things that they think you want to hear? Pastor, I'll be there Sunday. I can't tell you how many times I've ever heard that. I used to count, folks. I tell faith, oh, we're going to have so many people. We won't have to, we'll have to get more chairs. And, and <laughs> they're not there. I guess they didn't want me to feel bad, so they lied right through their teeth. Right? We'll be there. Yeah, I for, maybe it was my fault. I forgot to ask where there was, you know. <laughs> I'll be there. Maybe they're down at the coffee shop. You know, I thought, that fool me, you know. <laughs> Our words, when we say something, we commit to it. It becomes so increasingly important to me. My word is my bond, and I want it to be that way. That's why the, every year I spent a lot of years in school, past high school, and every year I got older, my word and my work became more and more important to me because it was a, increasingly in my mind a reflection of me, and a reflection of my love for the Lord. I wanted to be with, with the excellence, that I, the best I could do with it. Wanted my word to be good. And that's, that's what God is doing in your life. Making us dependable, faithful, faithfulness. Faithful. Just as the Lord is utterly dependable, so you are being made that way. How about uh, Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah's journal here. These are the best known verses in the whole thing, 22 and 23, because of the Lord's great love. That's Hesed, his loving, faithful, covenantal faithfulness. We are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is faithful, isn't he? Now, the son, he's so faithful, the men and women in their rebelliousness just assume the son is going to come up tomorrow, right? There's a great New York uh, play that sings that. The son will come up tomorrow, right? Daddy Warbucks and all that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. What in the world is he talking about? But the sun will come up. Well, it's a testimony of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. George, you shared a great testimony, the faithfulness of God. And your weakness and flesh that we all enter in and say, yeah, that's me, George. You know, like I really wondered if God was going to come through. And look at that, right on time. And God is making us that way. Make your word faithful. Be faithful at work. Be there on time. Give your heart and soul to it. Be faithful as a general characteristic of your life, as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ who is always faithful. Prior to salvation, you may have been anything but reliable, but now that is different. Even your words are dependable as you strive to do what you'll say you'll do. 
I love our, our military. I pray for them every day. If I miss a day, it's, uh, I miss a day, but I try not to. You know, all branches of service. But I particularly, Bruce, love the Marines. You got to love their model, right? Semper Fi. What's that mean, Bruce? Always faithful. Always faithful. I'm, I'm glad they're there standing watch while you and I sleep and carry on our life. Always faithful. May that be us. Semper Fi. Thank you, Bruce, for serving as a Marine. And then the second general uh, uh, conduct quality mirroring Christ be you will possess a gentleness that previously was foreign to you. Gentleness, Paul says. Gentleness. Not only faithful, but gentle. Now there's no exact English equivalent to this. Some of you have studied foreign languages and you'll understand what that means. There are some words you just can't translate one to one. You have to use several words to try and describe it. And this is one of them. It's not weakness again. Some, the older translation translates it as meekness, especially there in Numbers 12.3 with Moses. He's called this word in Hebrew. It's a, it's, he's called the meekest man that ever lived. But it, it's a gentleness. It's a power under control. I don't think any of you would ever say Moses was, was a weakling. He wasn't. He couldn't have been. He, he wasn't at all, um, uh, and, and so on. How about Jesus? Uh, when you think of the Lord Jesus, and we'll look at that in our study in the future, when you think of the Lord, there are many things that are said about the Lord uh, in the Gospels. But this is interesting in this uh, account in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, because it's the only place that's at least coming to my mind at the moment where the Lord tells us about who he is. And let's look at that in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For here he says, I am gentle, there's the word, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The Lord tells us that he's gentle. He's gentle. And so is he making us to be. And even it's the word that describes the manner in which uh, your witness for the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be. You ought not to get the hammer out and hammer people with the gospel. Don't do that. It ought to be with a gentleness as you respond to those people that ask of the hope that is within you. Why are you the way you are? How can you respond like this to that issue? They're asking, really, what your bedrock foundation is. Step to the plate, and with humbleness and gentleness, there's the word. I think we have it. Do we have it to look at, David? Yeah, there it is. First Peter 3, 15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness, there's the word, and respect. And that's the way that you and I are to, to deposit the seed of the gospel into those that have a front row seat to your life and mine as to how, why do you tick the way you tick and not get ticked off, right? Gentleness, gentleness. Well, not only faithful, semper fi, but gentle. Gentleness, it's strength, but there's a tenderness with it. It's beautiful, beautiful.
I still, uh, when my mother gave me a shoebox uh, full of pictures a couple of years ago, she, I was going through a file and thought you might like these. They were the little brownie camera, black and white. Some of you know what that is. Some of you may have had that. And a little, a little scallop around the edges and all these, they were bent up and all that. And I looked through them and they were the old pictures when I was just a little kid. And there's a picture of my father at the beach. And my father, he had good arms on him, you know. And I, my, one of my favorite pictures is he's, uh, he's got these arms with a white T-shirt and he's holding, uh, I, 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 if it's not me, it's one of us. I, I forgot to ask my mother and she didn't write on the back of it. But I thought, there's my father in all of his masculinity holding one of his tender little ones. I thought, that's the picture of gentleness. He could have, you know, with his strength, could have ended the life if it's me. Just, that's it. You're gone. You know? Tenderness, gentleness, beautiful. That's what God's doing in your life and mine as his children. Well, the last uh, quality here in the general conduct section of the fruit of the Spirit is that of self-control. Paul says that you will increasingly possess a mastery over your sinful desires and impulses. He ends it with self-control. Well, this involves really, doesn't the restraining of passions and appetites. We're given all sorts of passions, some of them sinful, some are good. And all sorts of appetites, same thing. Some are good and some aren't good. And some are overindulged in, makes it no good. It's victory over fleshly desires. That's what uh, is involved in this. And you ought to be able to note in your life areas where you were defeated, maybe chained, and God is uh, loosing you from that. You're feeling areas of control. Maybe... uh, For years, you said, uh, because you felt you had a license to fly off the handle and with your mouth and anger be enraged because I'm Irish. I used to hear that. I'm Irish. Pastor, I can't help it. I'm Irish. Oh, really? Where's your card? It sounds like you have a permit for that uh, (laughs) weapon. I'm Irish. And God uh, uh, ought to be changing you so that your tongue, your heart, your desires, things that chained you in the past, maybe your spending does not align. And it's covetousness. And you say, I just, uh, God is giving you self-control, and you're saying no to that. And maybe you were hooked into pornography and the illicit and wrong usage of the beauty of sex. And God is giving you freedom from that. Or maybe it's a time waster. And you say, I just used to waste all kinds of time watching those soaps and craziness. I live for that every day. TiVo did if I missed it. And it's not an idol to me anymore. I'm having self-control. And and, and in all areas of life, you see, the tongue, the usage of money, the usage of our eyes and heart, the usage of our talents, and the abuse of it, maybe alcohol. You know, or maybe other things, drugs and things. Lord, you're giving me self-control. Thank you for that so much. I love the story Dave Allen tells about his dad and was a terrible drunk. God wonderfully saved him and gave him back a life and years. And in the end of his life, right, Dave? 
where, where he had self-control over the appetite of thirst and drink and how it had dominated his life and had wreaked havoc in the family and all that. And that's what God is doing. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to not look at that, but what a great chapter talking about the Christian like an athlete's control over his body. That's what God is doing. Self-mastery. Some translate the ending verses of that chapter, I keep under my body, lest at any time it should get advantage over me. One man translated and said, it really, I beat my body black and blue, lest at any time it get advantage over me. I whip that thing so it doesn't lead me around, but I lead it around, that flesh, that uh, thing that you and I have by birth. Well, it's only possible as you and I walk in the Spirit and it only comes from living a yielded Christian life. Jesus' incarnation was the epitome of self-control, don't you think? It was the epitome to me. I mean, in the flesh you'd say, the Lord say, I've had it. And just kind of get off the cross. You know, they're like, let's see if he gets off the cross. All right, I'm going to show you. Or, you know, just wipe out the enemies. That's it. I've had it. It's the epitome of self-control. And that's what God is working in your life and mine. And praise God for that. You know, we should be in control of all things. Well, what are some lessons for our life in this immensely practical, these last two, this message and previous on sanctification, being made like Christ? Number one, just salvation. To be like Jesus, you must receive him as Lord and Savior. Doesn't matter whether you're young or old, if you've never bowed the, not, the, the knee to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm bound for hell. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You must pray that way. You must. You must be saved. And know it well so you can tell others. They must be born again. Jesus said that. Not my idea. Number two, examine your life. Examine it. It's a good discipline to, it, to do that, to do it often. If you are truly a Christian, your life will show it, especially in how you treat others. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk, walk talks louder than your talk talks. Your relationship to others. What does your life show? Does it show that you are increasingly gentle, patient, kind with others, it should. If not, you may not be saved. If it isn't, then find out if you are saved, there's a root of sin that you need to ask the Lord to expunge from your heart. Well, number three, allow the Holy Spirit to work through you so that all your relationships will be blessed. As much as it depends on you, they ought to be blessed. Blessed. Your relationships should not be strewn like wreckage or body parts on the highway. They shouldn't be. If they have, you have some homework to do. You need to, you need to catch up with folks. Make a call. You need to write. You need to talk to them. Face-to-face -face is the best. And humbly ask them to forgive you. And whether they do or not, that's up to them. Release them. 
and be Christ to them. Number four and last, as we walk in the Spirit, here's the good news, we will be changed. Not just those in the nursery. We may not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. But if you're a Christian, God is changing you. Took them six days to make the the stars and the moon. And what's that kid's song say? He's still working on me. And he is. It's called sanctification. He's making you to become all these things, to be dependable, gentle, self-controlled, faithful. That's what he's doing. Wow. Well, there's a lot of... A lot of variation in the body of Christ. There's a lot of variation in humanity. But there is some commonality. You look at my brothers and you'd say, you're a Zabolsky. I know that. I got red hair. How do you know that? I can tell. There's a likeness there. Well, the same thing is is true in a far more important way in the family of God. There's a likeness to our Savior that God is working in your life and in mine. Isn't that great? So what does a Christian look like? Growing into the likeness of Jesus. That's what Paul is telling us. That's what it's all about. Now we're going to scatter, go out into the world and be Christ to your family, friends, neighbors, and even to those that would thumb their nose at you. Let's do that, shall we? 